Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast, made with Zencaster. I am your host, Dr. Justin Laymiller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how technology can save your sex life. Most of us never got the sex education we really needed, which leaves us with a lot that we need to figure out all on our own. But tech is making this easier than ever. We're going to explore an app that offers a step-by-step guide to sexual health and wellness that can also help you to build a deeper intimate connection with your partner. We'll also be discussing common questions people have about sex, as well as practical tips for cultivating a better and healthier sex life, from improving your sexual self-confidence to enhancing your sexual communication skills. I am joined today by Isharna Walsh, who is the founder and CEO of Coral, a sexual wellness app that offers evidence-based guides for better sex for all. Born in Sri Lanka and raised in Australia, Isharna has always been fascinated by the invisible rules that govern culture and society. A sex-positive activist, she left her VC position to create a mission-based company intent on eradicating sexual shame, combating misinformation, and disseminating pleasure-centric sex education in a brand new way. I can't wait for this conversation, so let's dive right in. Hi, Isharna, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hey, Justin. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm really looking forward to talking more about Coral and all of the amazing things that it can do for people's sex lives. But before we get into that, can you please tell us a little bit about your professional backstory? So specifically, what prompted you to get into the sexual health and wellness business in the first place? Yeah, it wasn't an intuitive progression, which I think is true for actually a lot of your guests. So I, I for Australia, hadn't spent much time in the US before moving here, but became really fascinated by technology and how it was really shaping our lives and our experience in the real world. My background is economics, law, and I have a law degree. Realized very early that law was not for me, which I'm very grateful for, <laughs> but really was curious about how you could combine the profit motive within business and social impact. And so that's been the thread to my career has been trying to figure out like, how do I build businesses that really help people? In parallel to that career development, I was on my own sexual journey. So raised in a somewhat conservative household. I wasn't really taught much about sex at all other than don't get pregnant and avoid STIs, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, which of course led me to a situation in a relationship a few years in where we had no idea how to talk about sex. We had no idea what was normal and that was creating issues in our relationship. And so I was lucky enough to find Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, which is a book that I'd highly recommend to anyone who hasn't read it, who's listening. And that sent me on a multi-year journey of personal transformation in relation to sexuality. And so because of my background in tech and my own personal journey, I had this moment of realizing that there's a huge amount of suffering in relation to sexuality, and yet we could use technology to help alleviate some of that suffering. And since I had that light bulb moment for Coral, it's just been nonstop ever since focused on building the business. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. And you're definitely not alone in being inspired on your sexual journey by Emily Nagoski. Uh, she's a previous guest on the podcast, and I recommend her book, Come As You Are, to people all of the time. So it's definitely a very helpful tool for helping people to better understand their own sexuality and develop some important sexual skills. So let's talk about sex education for a moment. We all know, and as you mentioned in your previous answer, that school-based sex ed is insufficient and it definitely doesn't teach people everything they need to know. And ideally, parents would help fill in the gap, but so many parents are uncomfortable talking about sexuality issues with their kids, so they just avoid the conversation entirely, which means we kind of have to figure out everything on our own. So some of us talk to our friends about it, but they don't necessarily have the answers. So many of us end up going online to get the sex ed we never got. And in theory, that's great because there's this mountain of easily searchable information. And people today have more access to sexual knowledge than any generation that came before. But to be honest, a lot of the information that's online is shit, right? So (laughs) while technology has this potential to be the savior for sex ed, it can also do a lot of harm at the same time. So what are your thoughts on this? Can you speak to both the good and bad of technology when it comes to sex education? And how can we better leverage tech to improve our sexual health and sex lives? Yeah, I mean, there's such a plethora of sexuality-related technology, right? So we can think about your WebMDs and your your sort of psychology todays, and then there's porn and the very broad range of porn that exists. There is technology-connected vibrators and sex toys. And the thing is, depending on your age, your relationship to sexuality and technology is very different, right? So I'm in my early 30s. I grew up with some access to porn, but not a lot. I had access to the internet, but that meant a lot of my sex education, particularly in its early days, was formed by sex ed at school and then trying and playing with partners in my teenage years. However, when you're younger today, you grow up with ubiquitous porn, you can watch everything on your phone. You can ask every question you have of Google. You're not sitting in your living room. And so our relationship to sexuality and technology is hugely dependent on our age. And what we're finding through our work is that, yes, there is a huge amount of information that we have access to through technology, but it's not curated. It's not reliable. We don't know where to trust. And actually one of the biggest things is people don't know what questions to ask. So while we have access to this plethora of information and so much available through us to us through technology, it's not often helping us actually create a happier and healthier intimate life with our partner because we don't even know what to ask Google and there's no one really taking us by the hand and leading us through much more conscious detailed, pleasure-centric, sex-positive sex education. So yes, there's like a lot of great in the access to technology that we have, but unfortunately, as you just mentioned, it's not necessarily leading us in the right direction. 
Yeah, I think everything you said is so true, especially the part about people not necessarily knowing the right questions to ask or how to phrase it. Because sometimes there is this great information that's out there, but you can only find it if you search for it in the right way. And so you also have a lot of sites I would consider kind of predatory that just want the traffic and they don't really care so much about whether the information is reliable. And so they look at, well, what is the language people use to search for this? And let's put that into our posts so that people come to us and we get a higher Google page rank and all of these things. And so in that way, you can have kind of shitty information that ends up getting prioritized in some of these search algorithms. And I think that's a whole other problematic issue. And I think it really highlights the need for having these curated places where people can go and get trustworthy information from experts that has scientific and and medical accuracy to it. So let's talk about Coral, the sexual health and wellness app that you created. How does this app work? So what can a user expect to find on it? And how is it different from everything else on the market? Because there are lots of apps that claim to help people with their sex lives and relationships. So what sets yours apart? Yeah, so I think one of the first things is that we partner with such incredible experts, right? So we have such amazing people around the table informing our content. And when I came to creating Coral, I was trying to essentially productize my own journey. So for me, there was three core components to my experience that were hugely impactful. First was the learning piece. So that book that I, Emily Negrosky's book that I mentioned, plus lots of others, giving the baseline of knowledge and understanding that people need to just know, for example, and I'm sure you've spoken about this on this podcast, but spontaneous and responsive desire. Some people need arousal to have the desire for sex. Once you understand that concept, you're like, oh my God, this is life-changing. I've completely changed the paradigm of how I understand my relationship to my own sexuality. So we want to give people that baseline of knowledge and understanding. The second core pillar is all about normalization and validation. It is so difficult to find open and vulnerable conversations around sexuality in our everyday lives and also online. So the second core pillar to the product is community, getting you to understand that you're not alone, that other people have the same questions that you do. And having a community weigh in to those questions is so fascinating and really, really validating to see your experience mirrored in the community that's also engaging with the product. And then the third core pillar is all around actually experiencing something differently. So we have hundreds of guided exercises ranging from a meditation to help you unpack shame to a facilitated communication exercise with you and a partner to guided self-pleasure to guided partner play like oral sex. And that's all about actually feeling something different because we all get stuck in quite similar patterns of behavior when it comes to sexual interactions, either with yourself or with a partner. And having someone facilitate you having a different experience is incredibly powerful. And so that's the core pillars in the experience. What we realized is that a lot of our community are in relationships. And so when we talk to them about what they really wanted in their relationships, it was this idea of a bridge to their partner. And I think we can all relate to that feeling of having some level of difficulty communicating about sexuality in your relationship. And so the final part of the product is a guided chat where 
you connect your account to your partner, you have a chat thread and Coral puts a prompt in every day to help you just communicate better and help you prioritize intimacy. So that's how the app works. And then in terms of how we're different, look, there's a lot of great products out there. You know, if you're a cis woman who's experiencing low desire, there are specific apps that might help you with that. Coral is really focused on a much broader range of issues and aspirations. It's not all about having a problem. And we're really there to integrate into your relationship. So our focus is very much, let's help you create your best intimate life with your partner. And then on top of that, the experts that we partner with are just incredible. Yeah, so it sounds like a really ambitious app in terms of what it tries to do, which is one of the reasons I really like it. Because if you look at a lot of the resources that are out there, many of them just tap into one of the pillars that you mentioned, where, for example, it's just the educational piece, or it's just the exercises piece in terms of, you know, how do you better communicate with your partner. And so you're kind of bringing a bunch of different things under the same umbrella. And so people can start with getting that enhanced self-understanding and then they can move on to getting the practical exercises they need to really build up those skills that can then transfer over into a relationship. So it is definitely different from most of the other apps that I've seen where, like I said, they tend to just focus on one thing or the other. Now, much of the world of sex education is geared toward very specific target audiences. So, for example, some products only speak to people of a certain gender or sexuality or people who have very specific sexual interests. However, your app is designed to be inclusive of people of varying backgrounds and identities. And that's the approach that I take in my own work. I don't just want to be a sex educator for one sliver of the population because I think everyone needs more sex ed in their lives. And we all stand to benefit from learning about sexual diversity. However, it's a really tall order to make sex ed accessible to a diverse audience. So can you tell us a little bit about how you manage this? So how do you design a sexual health and wellness app that anyone can be comfortable navigating regardless of their personal background or identities? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, Justin, like I came into this not as the expert, right? Like I came into this as someone who was like, look, I see a big problem. I think we can build something that solves it. And here's my vision for it. It was like, I'm a queer cis woman. I have a very diverse background. It was kind of the naivety of the inexperienced to say, I want to build something that feels really inclusive and speaks to everyone. And then, you know, what we did was we brought incredible experts around the table that that brought that richness of content and the approach It's been really hard, if I'm really honest with you, to try and speak to all genders with a broad range of experiences. We have a trauma-inclusive pathway in the product. So if you've experienced trauma, we really work to cater to that experience. And then, of course, a broad range of sexuality, so sexual orientation, right? It's just been a very conscious choice and a lot of hard work. So we partner with, you know, trans and gender diverse consultants. We make sure that we have experts that represent a broad range of sexual orientations. We get our community who are a very diverse group of individuals to give us their feedback. And then we, we mess up sometimes. I think that's the other thing for people who are thinking about being as inclusive as possible. You're going to mess up. 
And you just have to hope that your community is tolerant of that and actually educates you instead of getting mad. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's so true. You know, everything that you say as a sex educator is a potential landmine in terms of, you know, offending someone or turning someone off. So you have to be very careful, very (laughs) conscious in how you communicate about sexuality related information. And, you know, that's where my years of work as a college professor teaching human sexuality courses at different universities around the country really came in handy for the work that I do now because I started out by teaching continuing education courses in the evenings for non-traditional students who mostly came from rural Indiana. And so, you know, they were coming from this more conservative background. They were more diverse in terms of age. And then I went and taught at Harvard where I had this very left-leaning young student population who responded to the information very differently and had different preferred language and and terminology for everything. And so, you know, having experiences with different groups of people as an educator was really so valuable for figuring out, okay, how do I say this in a way that is going to be as inclusive as possible and offend the fewest people? Because you can never please everyone 100% of the time when you're a sex educator. And I think that's the thing that we've realized because we are a small team and that's the thing we've realized is that we're just, we are going to offend people, but we're doing our best. And like, if you just go out with the intention and sort of that, that sort of feeling of, Hey, look guys, we're really trying and, and we're here and we're responsive to your emails and like, we care that actually goes a long way. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing is that you put that intentionality into it, but you're willing to listen to feedback and respond and adjust. And that's been the story of my career is, and this is something I revisit all the time when I update my textbook every couple of years is the language around sex and gender is constantly evolving. And so, you know, it's easy for things to get out of date very quickly. So there's this constant evolution and I'm always learning and I'm always trying to do better. Now, I'm guessing that running a sexual health and wellness app has given you some unique insights into human sexuality and relationships. And at this point, you've had hundreds of thousands of people use the app. So what are some of the things that you've learned about, say, why people are using the app or what kind of information they're looking for? And have you discovered anything that has surprised you along the way? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Yes. And I actually think that's what's so interesting about using technology in this way, right? Is because we get access to populations that traditional sex therapists don't usually interact with. Because if you're going to a sex therapist, you've already identified a high level of dysfunction. And then a lot of research is not being done on a very broad population either. So we've got this really diverse cross-section of almost half a million people now who've engaged with Coral. One of the things that surprised me is how how many people are trying to recover from infidelity in their relationship. So they're seeking resources to help with that. Another thing has been just how much men are willing and, and wanting to engage. So because I'm a female founder. And I think the the sort of biases in our society assume that it's women who are more likely, cis women who are more likely to engage on this. Actually, I think men, cis men are really craving a similar space. The patriarchy does not serve any of us when it comes to the sexual narrative. And that is true for men. And so that's been actually one of the biggest surprises is just how much men are craving 
the content and, and tool that we've built. In terms of specific stuff, the biggest reasons that people come to the app tend to be, and this isn't that surprising to me, desire discrepancy. So basically, if you're in a relationship, one of you has higher sex drives in the other at all times. It might not be always a high and lower partner, but it's very rare for you both to want sex the exact same amount. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and that's your situation, just know that that's just like the status quo and there are things that can help. The other thing is just around mental health and sex. So medications affecting sex drive, life stresses affecting stress, sex drive, or your just ability or desire to connect to your partner. So we see a lot of that as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think all of that makes sense because it's often people who are very distressed, who are going out and then looking for help and tools and resources. And I think part of the reason why the app might be very appealing to men is that, you know, the idea of talking to a healthcare provider or a therapist about sexuality issues is really intimidating. And so the nice thing about an app, and this is one of the other benefits of technology, is that you can do it in a private way. And so, you know, you don't have to over-disclose or worry about somebody else judging or shaming you for using the app because nobody has to know that you're using it unless you're syncing your account with your partner and, you know, going through those sorts of activities. Now, ideally, you know, people would be coming to the app for just regular relationship maintenance. You know, it's kind of unfortunate that people wait to work on their relationship until big problems arise and then they let them fester for a while. And then it becomes really difficult because sometimes these are very intractable differences and patterns of behavior that have evolved over the course of months or years, or in some cases, even decades. So can you also speak to kind of how this app might also be useful for people who are already in a good relationship and they want to keep it good for uh, the future? Well, I use it. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I have a great, great relationship with my partner. Look, it's just normal to crave some novelty, just to, you know, life gets in the way, we're busy, we're tired. And anything that you do to really maintain or prioritize conscious connection with a partner, I think is incredibly valuable. And that's actually why technology can be super helpful is it can remind us, we can schedule things. And so Coral, you know, you can schedule a partnered exercise with your partner, the guided partner chat. It's just a cute way of sharing compliments. Uh, We have prompts like hug your partner for three deep breaths when you see them next. Little reminders to, I think about it as like watering the garden. You know, we have to water the garden of our intimate life to keep it flourishing. And that requires a little bit of tending every day. And so whether you're, you know, feeling a little disconnected or whether you're feeling like things are good, you can use technology to help you maintain that. And Coral's a really great way to do it. Actually, you know, we have guided partner exercises around communication. So I just did one with my partner recently. What do you find seductive? And it was so fun because like it's stuff that I wouldn't think to ask normally and neither would he. And and it was really, really fun conversation that we wouldn't normally have. So there's just so yeah. many things like that. And I think that's a great analogy about sort of thinking of your relationship like a garden or a plant, you know, and you might look at it right now and everything's in bloom and seems very healthy, but it can very quickly start wilting and, you know, for things to 
not look so good anymore because life happens, shit happens. And if you don't prioritize that ongoing maintenance in your relationship, then you know, the, the relationship can really start to crumble without you realizing it's happening. And then it, in some cases, becomes too late if you wait too long to really start working on the relationship. So I think that's another nice benefit of technology is that it can provide us with those prompts that we need to ask questions we wouldn't have otherwise thought about asking and develop a deeper and more lasting intimate connection with our partners. Now, we have much more to discuss, including tips on how to have better sex and how to make sexual communication easier. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you're recording a podcast, you need the most reliable and high-quality recording program out there, which is why I use Zencaster. It's easy to use, and you're going to love the results. Sign up today for a free two-week trial and use my exclusive discount code, SEXANDPSYCH, P-S-Y-C-H, to save 40% off their professional plan. Visit Zencaster.com to learn more. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com. Looking to boost your bedroom game? Promescent is here to help you have better sex. Check out their signature delay spray, which has been clinically shown to help men last longer in bed. They also have a female arousal gel, lubricants, Vitaflux supplements, and so much more. Promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, free shipping on orders over $10, and discreet packaging to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place your order at promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. And we're back. I'm speaking with CEO of the sexual health and wellness app, Coral. Now, Isharna, there was a question that I should have asked earlier, which is, why is the app called Coral? Ah, that is a good question. (laughs) So I love diving. And the first time I went diving or snorkeling, really, it was mind-blowing. It was like, oh my God, there is this whole world that exists right below the surface of the ocean. It's always there. And I had never seen it. I'd never consciously dive down and taken a look. And I think sexuality is a really similar world in each of us. It's always there. It's always beneath the surface and it's beautiful. And so that was really the inspiration for the name was that idea of this, of this world below the surface. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, when I first learned about the app, it wasn't immediately obvious to me why it was called Coral. But when I hear you explain it, it makes so much sense. And, you know, I think it's a great, another great analogy and way of thinking about our relationships and sex lives and what's beneath the surface and how there can be all of these beautiful things that are hidden from you that we need to bring out. Right. And you don't know what's there until you explore. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I used to teach college human sexuality courses a lot. And on the first day of every semester, I would always give my students the opportunity to anonymously ask any questions they had about sex that they had never had answered before. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised over the years just how consistent the questions were. By and large, the single most common question people would ask on the first day was about the female orgasm. And I was just stunned (laughs) by the number of students who would ask things like, how does a woman orgasm? Or they would say, is it even possible for a woman to orgasm? And, you know, I think that speaks to the fact that there's just really a lot of basic sex ed that's missing and how we don't talk about pleasure and why we really need 
places where we can learn about pleasurable sex. But I bring this up because I know within your app, you give users the opportunity to ask questions. They can ask them of other people in the community, have them answered. And I know you kind of hinted on, you know, some of the main things that drive people to come to the app, such as dealing with infidelity or sexual desire discrepancies. But when you look at user questions, are, are there any common questions or topics that seem to come up? Do you see consistent themes? Yes. So orgasm is definitely one. So there's the theme around, I can't communicate my needs to a partner so that I can orgasm. So like, how do I, how do I communicate what I need? There's a big theme around, I can only orgasm by myself. I've never orgasmed with a partner. And then there's another big theme around, I've never orgasmed before at all. I haven't drilled into the data around the gender identity of of who's asking those questions, but I'd have a a strong hypothesis that it's a lot of cis women. Then we see a lot around how to use spice, very common. And then also around a couple of the things I mentioned before. So infidelity, mental health, disparity in sex drive. But the pleasure, yeah, the pleasure ones are very, very common. What else is there? Uh, Pain, pain during sex. That's one we see a lot. I'm trying to think. One that comes up a fair bit, which um, is like, sad but also sweet is around navigating sex as the partner of someone who's experienced trauma Mm -hmm. as well as obviously someone who's experienced trauma themselves and if you think about it there's not if, if unless you can afford um trauma therapist or a sex therapist there's really not many places you can go to get meaningful quality advice around that yeah, it's so true. And I appreciate you sharing all of those questions. And, you know, it, it's interesting to me that there is so much overlap between the questions that users of your app are asking and then the questions students were asking me in my human sexuality course. You know, I think it's fascinating because yeah, you think it, as you, because, you know, the majority of our demographic, our community are probably 26 to 40. So we do have a cohort in the 20 to 25 age bracket, but majority are definitely 26 to 40. So it just shows how little we're progressing as we get older. Yeah. And, you know, another way to think about it is that, yes, a lot of people got sex ed when they were in, you know, the fifth grade or, you know, sometime in middle school or high school, but that doesn't teach people what they need to know. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to go to college and further to take a human sexuality course while you're in college, you can learn about a lot of this stuff. But otherwise, it's just kind of, you have to figure it out on your own. And I think that helps to explain why you have a lot of people in their later 20s, their 30s, their 40s and, and beyond who still don't know very basic information about sex and the human body and you know how orgasms work and so forth and so i think that all points to the need for lifelong sex ed and better sex ed and more tools and resources to help people so let's talk about tips for better sex Now, there are a lot of sexual self-help guides that focus on teaching people tips and tricks for experiencing more pleasure, like how to give a great blowjob or whatever. But they neglect the fact that before you can have a really good sex life, you need to feel good about yourself first. You need to have some confidence in your body and in your sexuality. So can you speak to that issue of sexual self-confidence? Why is it so important? And how can somebody go about building up their sexual self-confidence? Yes, it's so important. And it's crazy because it's kind of like robbed from all of us in a way, given 
how little education we receive and then all the messages we receive about how sex should be, how we should be in bed. I mean, I've had young women say to me, is it normal that, like, is it, is it weird or is there something wrong with me that I didn't orgasm the first time I had sex? And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, why do you even like have that expectation of yourself? Society really sets us up to not feel great. And I think recognizing that is the first step. The reason that it's so important is we can't show up and be a really present lover if we're not confident and comfortable in ourselves. And the thing that gives the means that you have the best sex is that ability to be present and to truly experience what's going on for your partner and for yourself in your body and in your mind. And that's what makes great sex. It's not like using your tongue in a certain way or, you know, making sure that your body looks a particular way. It is that presence and that energy and that ability to deeply connect. And if you don't have that sexual confidence and comfort in yourself, then you can't show up in that way. And I wish everyone knew that. I think that's one of the things that like, (laughs) it's one of our biggest misunderstandings about great sex. It's, you know, I I think, I'm not sure who wrote it. Oh, there's a book called Magnificent Sex. Was it Peggy? Peggy Kleinplatz. Kleinplatz, that's it. If you're interested at all, I recommend you read it. I'm sure Justin's checked it out. But that book really emphasizes that point around presence and connection. And so in terms of cultivating confidence, I'd be curious actually whether your perspective would differ as a cis man around how you cultivate confidence. For me and my journey, mindfulness has been the most powerful secret bedroom superpower. We have a lot of exercises designed to help you cultivate that in in the app. Having a mindfulness practice really helps. Another thing that has helped me immensely is acknowledging how much my own negative self-talk adds stress to my life. And actually, Emily Nagoski wrote a book called, I think it's Burnout, Breaking the Stress Cycle. And in that book, she actually talks about how much the negative self-talk we have as women adds another layer of stress into our lives just from a cortisol perspective. And I remember reading that and going, oh my God, I can't believe I've been doing this to myself. Like, why would I add extra stress to my life? So reframing body confidence as a gift to yourself, I think is super important. Yeah, I I think it's so true. And there's not just one way or one path to building up sexual self-confidence. I think it's going to be different for different people. It may be different across genders, but you need to find a way to deal with the insecurities that you have and to feel good about your body. And, you know, I can say from my own experience that for a long time, I felt like a very insecure person. I was not comfortable or confident in how I looked. And so, you know, when I was younger, if somebody really attractive seemed to be flirting with me, I would discount it. I would dismiss it. I would assume they weren't really interested, right? Because Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had the self-worth for, you know, this attractive person to even be talking to me. And so it was a long journey for me. And there were different things that happened along the way. And, you know, there's not just one thing that I can point to, but it was finding a way to build up my own self-confidence. And part of that was 
changing my my look and my appearance. You know, actually growing a beard was the best thing I ever did. Oh, wow. <laughs> my cool. sex life. Now, Amazing. that's not going to work for everybody. <laughs> but what's interesting about a beard is that it changed the way that I see myself. You know, when I look in a mirror, yeah. when I see a photo of myself, I see a different version of me with a beard than yes. when I didn't have one. And it also changed the way that other people saw me and interacted with me. And so it was this, you know, just interesting experiment with facial hair that was part of my own journey to building up self-confidence. And so again, different things work for different people. I'm not saying everyone needs to grow out and grow a beard and whatnot, but you have to figure out what it is that works for you because that sexual self-confidence piece is just so important. And I think ultimately it's going to lead to better sex because if you feel good about yourself, you're not going to be so distracted during intimate moments and be in your head wondering, how do I look? Does, it, does my partner think I'm attractive? You know, because those things are very time. toxic to sexuality. A hundred percent. And I don't think that gets talked about enough, actually. It's like a foundational piece Maybe because it is so hard to, it's not like a one, two, three, feel confident, like you can't put it in a Cosmo article, but it is a really foundational piece. And I think too, the fact that it is so common for people to have these insecurities and to lack sexual self-confidence, then they often turn to substances or consume a lot of alcohol to find that sort of psychological escape so that they're not focused on and worrying about these things when an intimate opportunity or moment arises and that creates a whole other set of issues. So I think it's really important to find some way. And, you know, for some people, the answer might be therapy, but it's, you need to work on yourself first, I think, before you can have really good sex. Now, another key to good sex and to feeling desire for sex is to feel connected to your partner. And I think that's true in both casual sex and in long-term relationships. We see in the research that people tend to say that sex is better when there's some intimacy or emotional connection with a partner. So what are some practical ways that you think people can deepen their connection with their partner or restore a connection that has faded? And, you know, how do you bring that connection back and kind of keep it going over time? Oh, gosh. Yes. Okay. So in the first piece around just deepening a connection, there's some really simple things that you can do to consciously create connection to your partner. One is making eye contact. So these are just really tactical things. Like if you're feeling disconnected, ask your partner to sit down and just take a few deep breaths while you look in the eyes before you eat dinner, before you start your meal. Eye contact is a huge one. Also, um, like hugging, just like actually, again, hug your partner for three breaths. Not just, not just a quick hug when you get home from work, but literally three deep breaths. There's lots of simple little hacks like that that can make you feel just a bit more connected which mean that when a more sexual, sexually explicit encounter come around, you're already sort of feeding that fire before you're getting into the bedroom. And I think Esther Perel talks about this a lot too, just around thinking about sex starting when your last sexual encounter ended. So, you know, everything can be sexual and and sexy and and connecting with, with your partner if you put some thought and intention behind it. Reconnecting with someone after a dry spell, that can be a lot more fraught. So as we've been talking about today, right, dynamics can develop over the course of a relationship 
that mean that it's really hard to talk about sex, that it's really hard to feel like this part of your life is a place of joy and fun. It's not a place of tension and history. And so that's where something like Coral can really help because we have guided courses within the app that equip you with language to talk through what you're experiencing and then really concrete tools. But things like actually taking sex off the table for a period can be really helpful, creating the space for desire to grow, and then also starting a bit small. So for example, you know, connecting intimately without the pressure for penetrative sex, for example, can be really helpful if you're stuck in a bit of a a negative dynamic. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of good resources in the app to help with that. Yeah. And what you're saying speaks to something I've talked about a lot when it comes to building that spark or getting it back in a relationship, which is that you need the physical connection and the emotional connection with your partner. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be that physical piece, the intimate touch, because that starts to literally help us feel in touch with our partner. But there is this powerful way that touch can reduce stress and can make us feel more connected with our partner and cultivate more intimacy. But then there's also the emotional disclosure piece where you need to be talking to your partner. It can't just be superficial stuff because we know that when people go deep, that that is really kind of how they expose their vulnerabilities and build up trust and intimacy over time. So it's both the physical connection and the intimate emotional connection that are both important. Can just add just in terms of that desire discrepancy piece, like just to normalize it. So 70, it's something like 73 or 74% of corollas have experienced a large desire discrepancy with their partner. So like it's a lot of people. It's like yeah. more likely than not. And I think it's about 70% of corollas also say that they find it difficult to talk about sex with their partner. So, you know, if you're struggling with this in your relationship, like it's just normal. Just it's, it's not, yeah, it's just start with the starting point of it's normal. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, you know, just to bring in some stats from scientific surveys and studies that I've seen, about one in four people report that they experience a desire discrepancy in the last year alone, right? So mm-hmm. this is a very common experience. And if you look at the most extreme form of sexual desire discrepancy, where someone is, say, in a sexless marriage, where, you know, that sex has just disappeared entirely, you know, it's about one in seven married adults in the US who are in a totally sexless marriage, you know, so Mm. this is really common. And Mm -hmm. it's something that can be addressed. It can be difficult to address because there's all kinds of factors that can go into a sexual desire discrepancy. But the good news is that there are tools and resources out there to help. Yes. Carl. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've all heard that communication is key when it comes to great sex and relationships, but it's become cliche to tell people just communicate more with your partner, right? Oh we God, all so know. <laughs> we all know that we should do it and we should do it more, but it's easier said than done. You know, a lot of us just have this really hard time talking about sex. And as you mentioned, a lot of users of your app are, are coming mm-hmm. to you specifically because they have issues around that. So what are some practical tips you can share on, you know, how you can make sexual communication easier? How can we open the door to more productive and healthy conversations about sex? Uh, so if you have any icebreakers or tips that you can share that'd be great Ooh, all right it's hard because it's like it depends on how fraught the topic is in your relationship right like if if it's just something that you don't really talk about because you're shy it's kind of different to 
we don't talk about it because every time I bring it up, it turns into a giant fight, right? Yep. You're like, yes. So I think, you know, if it's something that you're shy to talk about, something like, like a coral can be really helpful because what you can do is you can say like, oh, I just like, I was just browsing Instagram and this ad was advertised, app was advertised to me and I downloaded it because I was curious and, oh, look, it's interesting. And like, let's talk, like, let's look at it together. You know, you can use... And it doesn't have to be coral. It can be an article that you stumble across or it can be something that you can use as the intermediary tool to then get a conversation flowing between you and your partner. So if if you're on that more shy side, also a classic one, if you've got something that you want to try with your partner, you can just say that you had a dream about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had this sexy dream last night. Things like that can be really helpful for ice breaking. If you're more in a dynamic where it's a really fraught subject and you're not sure how to bring it up. One of the things that we see a lot is around breaking the pattern of the dynamic that's developed. So often we're playing out a particular dynamic in our sexual related conversations that's representative of a broader dynamic in the relationship. So in order to shift the sexual conversation dynamic, you first have to understand what's going on there. And then secondly, consciously communicate differently to to circuit break that. Yeah. And I think that's all great information and advice. And I think it's also true that, you know, there isn't a one size fits all answer when it comes to improving sexual communication because different people find communication difficult for very different reasons. And so it's finding a solution that works for you, that feels comfortable and right for you. But I think that's all great information. Now, we're running short on time, but I have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. So with this app you've created, you've amassed a ton of information and resources about sexuality and relationships. So I want to ask what that means for your own personal life. Because some people might think that now that you're this authority on sex and relationships, you must have it all figured out. And (laughs) I say that because people often assume the same thing about me, right? Where they're like, oh, he must know everything about sex and be great and bad or whatever. Like people have all kinds of stereotypes about people in the sexual health and wellness industry. So tell me a little bit about, you know, sort of what you've learned about yourself along the way and, you know, the impact that this professional journey has had on you personally. Yeah. Oh my God. So I didn't think about that when I started this company, which I mean, great. I'm actually kind of glad because if I thought about it, I I wouldn't have started it. But when I started Coral, I was so focused on, on solving the problem that I didn't think about what it would mean for me personally. And it is interesting because I am obviously so deep in the knowledge and like creating our, our customer journeys and being really aware of speaking to so many people about their experiences. Right. So I have amassed this knowledge despite not, not being a sex expert myself. So yes, I think people do assume that my sex life is like perfect and that I'm, I'm great in bed and all of those things, which can be hard at times. I think the biggest thing for me personally though, has been my personal journey in relation to sexuality. So going on this journey, I'd like, I like to think of it, you know, just slightly earlier than our community. So I'm, I'm hopefully taking our community on the same journey that I went on. And that's really changed my sexual confidence. So I don't have issues around sexual confidence, which has been amazing, you know, to just be able to show up and really enjoy my sexual experiences with a spirit of joy and exploration and fun is like, what a gift in my life. 
I'm really happy about at that. And I think also being confident sexually does impact the way you are more broadly in the world because it's kind of one of those foundations of confidence that sort of just boost you overall. I think personally the hardest part has been around dating. So at this, you know, I'm with someone now, but at the start just you know, people coming in with preconceptions and then obviously they would get nervous because because they would be like, oh, she's a sex expert. Like I have to show up. <laughs> so dealing with other people's performance anxiety, which luckily I have all the tools to do. So, it, you know, but that that was definitely hard. Yeah, it's it's been a journey, but it's been really fun. And I get invited to cool stuff too. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a never ending shortage of really fun events and things that you get to do when you work in this space. But I get to meet such great people. Oh, yeah. But it, an amazing community of people. But now you've got me thinking about kind of how I need to do a whole episode at some point on kind of like the sex lives of sex researchers and yes. therapists and educators <laughs> because, you know, it. it I think there's this assumption that we all have everything figured out and that, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've learned what we need to know, but I feel like I'm still always learning. Right. And that oh nobody God, has everything figured out. I yeah. think the thing that I've learned through it is like how little I know. And like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm what, like eight years into my personal journey and, and three years into the professional one. And like, I'm like, I feel like I'm just scratching the tip of the iceberg. There's so much out there. There's so much to explore. There's so much that you can experience that I haven't yet experienced. And that's been really also just how complex this is. Like there's no one size fits all. There's no right answer. Like it's a journey that we're all on, that we're all figuring out together a hundred. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's quite, it's cool actually. Cause it's, it's kind of just opened my eyes to a whole world that, like most people don't know exists as well, I guess. Yeah. And I think a good way of sort of thinking about this is that, you know, your sexual journey is not like flipping a switch and, you know, where you sort of have this instantaneous transformation. (laughs) Yeah. It's not an off on kind of thing. It's a very big dial that you're kind of slowly turning and, you know, you're learning more and more, but as you learn more, you develop new questions. And so I think that's another just key point about our sexual journeys is that, there's no end point really, you know, it's just no, this constant it's evolution. Really, you're yeah. never going to have it all figured out and you're always going to be constantly learning new things. And I would also say like, it's not in one direction. Like, yeah. so I have had periods definitely, you know, in the last eight years of, of like not being able to orgasm as reliably or not feeling as much pleasure as I have historically. Like I've gone because of stress and fatigue and relationships status and, what's going on in, in uh, my life more broadly or my relationship more broadly, which has affected my connection to my partner. Like, it's not like you just figure stuff out and then it's sorted. Like it goes, it ebbs and flows just like exercise or, or fitness, like nutrition, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. It's not a linear journey. (laughs) You know, it can go in a lot of different directions and it can look very different for different people. Well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Isharna. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and get their hands on your app? 
Yes, please. I have a very Googleable name, so, so go for it. And you'll find some medium articles and things I've written. But to download Coral, you can search for Coral Intimacy in the App Store. We're on Android as well. And our website is getcoral, G-E-T-C-O-R-A-L dot app. APP, and you'll find more about our incredible experts, our philosophies on different, like our, our different values and things like that that drive the way we think as well. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, which was made on Zencaster, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.